everybody. Welcome to another episode of Repeater. My name is Evan. And I'm Pat. And today on the show, we are so happy to be joined by the incredible Allie Gordon. Allie, hello. Hi. Very happy to be here. Very surprised. Um, I think I have really bad. Yeah, I think I have really terrible taste in music. So I was (laughs) genuinely shocked to see your uh, email come through. We we have not talked about our taste in music yet. So... (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you've got your like your countdowns and stuff, and I've always been like, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I liked that. Yeah, that was cool. You know, it's usually other people showing up with those songs. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, okay, take it back. Yeah, yeah, we suck. To take that, that's all. It's reset. <laughs> Just we all suck. to be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, yeah. Thank you for joining us. Allie is a, a performer. Just incredibly hilarious person here in New York City, um, and incredibly musically talented. So. Oh. Even if your taste in music is terrible, Allie, you are yourself an incredible musician. So that's very sweet. You know, Thank you very much. Well, and it has and to my be taste said. in music is, I wanted to say it one more time, bad. So I <laughs> just want to get that out of the way before we get into this episode. <laughs> well, every, you know, everyone's going to get to know you right now. Yeah. Um, the first thing we like to do when we get started is just to talk about something briefly that we've been listening to lately. So a bit of a shout out to, uh, yeah, something that's been on your ears. Pat, what have you been listening to? Um, well, I mean, due to coronavirus, a lot of my shipments um, were significantly delayed and they all appeared within the past two weeks. Um, so a wide variety of things all came on vinyl. Uh, I'm going to just shout them out individually. I got... Uh, Galjaway LP and two EPs. That's a like a hardcore band from Florida. I got one P's. from Peaced Out, which is a side project for the movie life guys. Um, I also got one from Katie Harkin, her uh, debut solo album, uh, just named Harkin. It's really good if you like kind of dreamy indie pop. Uh, and then I also got two records from friends of the show proper. I'm very excited about those proper is a really fun uh, Brooklyn band Um, and their second LP which I was just listening to is this beautiful kind of marbly pink um, which has nothing to do with the music but I think it's really pretty so go buy it cool so you got a good shipment of punk stuff it sounds like recently yeah I needed to make room in my record shelf sure Uh, I uh I really didn't think about this until five minutes before we were recording, <clears throat> per usual. And I was just like, what was the most recent thing I listened to? And the most recent thing I think I listened to all the way f- through was Lady Gaga's new album, which at the time of recording just dropped uh, like a few days ago. Chromatica, I believe it's called. And I'll tell you what, it's a fun album. Yeah. Uh, a lot of good dance pop. Feels very kind of like... I don't know, throwback you to like an era where I was alive and remember it, but wasn't old enough to probably be out anywhere enjoying it type <laughs> of thing. So I don't know, the 90s at some point. Um, but it's very cool. Uh, yeah, I really enjoy it. The big lead single I think everyone's been talking about is Rain On Me, which is a collab with Ariana. Am I correct about that, Allie? Yes, you are correct. Hell yeah. So yeah, that's that's what I've been listening to. I have a very good friend who... Um we were taking a, a walk in, in March, trying to be like six feet-ish apart from each other. And uh, he very excitedly was like, people, people have told me that they just saw Lady Gaga and Ariana Grande leaving the same building at the same time. 
And I was like, okay. Mm. And he was like, no, that means they're working together. So like, it's secret now, but it won't be for long. And you know, I, I'm <laughs> glad that they were vindicated and that 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 is correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is great. <laughs> and I wish that's how that worked. If you like walked out of the same <laughs> building as somebody, it meant you work together on something right. because that means me and Paul Rudd would have worked on something by now. <laughs> me and Richard oh, Kind man. have worked on so many things together. Is that true? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, me and uh, all the people in my apartment building are putting together an album, apparently. It's, it's going to be great. Uh, Allie, what have you been listening to recently? Um, I have been running to the new Fiona Alpha. Wow. Wow, I can't talk. <laughs> I have been running to the new Fiona Apple album a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. I would not call it traditionally like pump up running music, but there's it's so full of emotion that you like kind of get swept up in it. And I do think it makes you like run harder and faster. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Um, yeah, that album rules. Yeah, it really rules. And I don't Damn, not say it's like music. Wow. Thank you so much. I think it's going to be the coolest <laughs> thing I say this entire episode. I'm really trying to get it like I'm trying to get it done at the top. <laughs> uh-huh. Everybody, please still keep listening because I swear we'll be back into it. Yeah. So, I mean, here's what I think about myself. (laughs) I think I am extremely well informed. And I think that the opinions that I have on the things that I have opinions on uh, are maybe not necessarily unique, but like come from an, an interested and passionate and educated place. However... It would be cool if, like, the thing that I knew so much about and could speak so so intelligently on was, like, a punk band from Florida that somehow had, like, incredible influence on, like, later punk music <laughs> in the scene, but it, it isn't. So, you know, sure. I'm, I'm not stupid, but I have bad taste. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, think, I think, just real quick before we get into what you came to uh, talk to us about... I mean, I think for me, quote unquote, good taste in music really comes down to like, well, what are you passionate about and what do you enjoy? And, you know, I'm kind of in that school of like, I don't really think there's any guilty pleasures. It's like you like it or you don't. And that's totally fair. Um, I think like the way that the world kind of works or uh, I don't know, this is sort of a thought that I'm coming up with right now, but you get this idea that like you know, punk music is cool and other types of music maybe aren't as cool or edgy or whatever. And really it doesn't necessarily matter. Right. Like there's just sort of different levels of being able to experience music where for me, it was very much these shows are cheap and I can go to these shows and I happen to also enjoy the sounds that are coming out of them. Um, But I don't think that like devalues any enjoyment of more highfalutin music where you go to Carnegie Hall and see like a chamber music night. Like, I don't think there to me, I don't think there's any real differentiation between any level of interest in either of those things. Yeah. I also feel like, sorry that we're like getting into talking about it, but we're not even like talking about it yet. I I feel (laughs) like something that like, uh, makes something, I don't know. The word is the word cool doesn't make sense in this situation, but makes it like a little more defensible or like you're like, no, I really like this is like a sense of um, genuine sincerity. And so like mm-hmm. when you think of like 
genuinely great punk or something like that. Or like being like 14 years old and being like, holy shit, this is knocking my socks off. It's because they were like speaking to and performing in a way that you were like, oh my God, they get it. And like there was like a a sincerity there. And like you you wouldn't necessarily, I think, put that word with punk otherwise. But it's like, if you were saying like those are the shows that were cheap that you could like afford to get into, what you saw on that stage was somebody who you were like, I could be them. I want to be them. They're speaking like truth to power. Their music is like ex- exciting me. Like that's like, this is like a sincere connection. And the, the, uh, the genre that we are speaking of today that I, that I am bringing to the table is either blisteringly sincere in a way that like either like really, really works or makes people really put off by it or is not sincere enough and comes across as unbelievably corny and ungenuine. Which mm-hmm. is like the crux, I think, of it as an art form, period. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So let's, uh, you know, let's let some pe- the people in on the secret. But um, <laughs> we're trying to do some different things here uh, on Repeater while everyone's kind of like remotely in their home. And so we're changing up the topics. We're kind of doing different themes. And today, uh, you know, we asked Allie to come on. We asked you to come on specifically to talk about live performance, like a favorite live performance of yours, um, because you you love the live performance stuff and you yourself are a live performer. So I think what we're getting at a little bit here is musical theater. Yes. Uh, is the genre we are we are getting at, um, which I love. We've had a few different musical theater folks on the on the show, and it's always a, a great time. But um. Could you intro- could you tell us the 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 performance that you wanted to talk about today? Sure. Um so this was very difficult to uh narrow down. Uh I also really really wanted to choose something that had a video that people could go later watch. I've seen a lot of things live that were amazing and then subsequently like lost to time and I didn't think it would be as fun or as exciting to talk about something that I was like, oh my God, it was amazing. I wish you could have been there. Um, I want, especially since I know this is probably a genre people are like, not going to be either as knowledgeable about or less likely to seek out on their own necessarily. I wanted it to be like, hey, if that excited you, go watch it. Um, Mm -hmm. So the performance that we have settled on is specifically uh, Elaine Stritch performing the song I'm Still Here from the musical Follies, which is a Sondheim musical from the 70s. Um, Sondheim is definitely my favorite musical theater composer. There are a lot of others who I think are equally brilliant, but I think like hit for hit, Sondheim has most of my favorite musicals. And even in musicals that aren't my favorite, like Follies, there are songs like this in it that are so iconic. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, when I was trying to decide what we were going to talk about, I sent Evan a couple options and I like gave my reasonings behind like why I thought each live performance was so brilliant. Uh, And part of what I think makes this one so brilliant is it's like the perfect marriage of a well-written song, lyric, music, so on and so forth, and a performer who does it in such a way that you feel that they are interpreting it from their soul. Like it could, they could be making it up in the moment. The thoughts are coming to them organically in the moment. It's not like a song that somebody learned and rehearsed at a piano and is now performing for you in a musical. It's like she's living it. Um, so it's like a brilliant marriage of song and performer. Yeah, it's wonderful. And we will, uh, we'll put the link to the video in, uh, 
the description of this episode, and we're going to listen to just a little bit of it right now. I've been through Reno. I've been through Beverly Hills. <laughs> and I'm here. <laughs> Reefers and Vino. Rescuers, religion, and pills. But I'm here. Been called a pinko. Kami too. Got through it, stinko. By my pool. I should have gone to an acting school. That seems clear. And still, someone said she's sincere. So I'm here. Okay, so it's excellent, right? I mean, the performance, I, I had a great time watching this. Um, it's from 2010, I believe, right? Uh, yes, this is, this is the 80th, 80th birthday 80th concert. Birthday. Uh, they just had his 90th birthday concert, mm -hmm. uh, or they attempted to. It was done via Zoom. Uh, it just started an hour <laughs> and a half late because of technical issues. Oh, no. Um, nothing has ever proven the need for stage managers more than this Zoom concert <laughs> for Sondheim's 90th birthday. It was just like a bunch of actors in their apartment being like, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that was a little yeah, shout sad. Shout out to stage managers. Shout out to stage managers. I'm sure there's one stage manager listening to this being like, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, um, so this yeah, is like, yeah. uh, I, there's a DVD of this. It was performed at Carnegie Hall. Oh, no, sorry, I lied. It was performed at Avery Fisher Hall at Lincoln Center. And the uh, there's a larger concert, but there's a segment in it that people have started to call like the ladies in red segment because all of the women who are performing this series of songs back to back are all wearing red dresses, except for Elaine Strift, who's wearing a red pantsuit and her iconic hat, but in red this time, um, yeah. <laughs> which is great. I feel like already, you know, it's going to be good because it's like, yeah, of course you're wearing that. Um, and I also think part of what makes this such a fun thing to watch is that, uh, the other performers are sitting behind her and you're watching them have a blast while she is performing. These yeah. are all parts of why I think the video is so, it's such like a good live performance. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's really cool because, um, everybody, you should go and watch this, but real quick she's like center stage with this half circle of the other women sitting there like laughing their asses off at this because it is it's a it's a subtle song but it she hits these notes uh like the punches in the jokes so perfectly and sort of the orchestra you can see behind sort of in the dark um there is a real i really enjoyed there's a cut to the uh conductor who's just sort of like bebopping along to the song and he's having a like everybody's having so much fun and her attitude is perfect yeah i like um the song is excellent uh mm -hmm. if you heard anybody perform it i think it would be almost undeniable as like a person listening to it that it's like an extremely well-written and well-told song the lyrics are witty without being annoyingly so like it's not like look how me i'm smart uh it covers so much like in so much specificity like uh from like the 30s to the 60s because it's uh essentially detailing a woman who's been in the performing arts her entire life and uh it starts off as just being like i'm old but i'm still here and you kind of like laugh uh and it turns into like the amount of things she's overcome as a person as a woman as a performer somebody who's gone from like a sex symbol to playing the mom to go to like there's another lyric where it's like first you're like the sexy person then you're somebody's mom then you're then you're camp and it's like all this 
it's a really well-written song. And I've seen a lot of people mm-hmm. do it really badly. But at the end of it, you're still like, that song's amazing. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of the thing with Sondheim is it's like, more often than not, you can come away with like, that was really well written. Uh, But in this instance, like, her attitude matches the song personally. Her dryness, like the natural dryness that she has in everything you've ever seen her perform, matches the song perfectly. And um, she's old. I don't mean that like derogatorily, like... She genuinely feels like a person who could have and has lived many of the specifics in the song. And so, like, watching her do it genuinely feels like a testament not just to the fictional person of the song, but, like, of Elaine Stritch genuinely. Mm -hmm. Like, it feels Mm -hmm. almost like watching a tribute to her, which is, I kind of think, also why, like, when the other performers are watching her... There's like so much joy because it's like, hell yeah, I'm sitting on stage with Elaine Stritch. Like, look at her go. <laughs> I'm watching her do the thing that she like is famous for, which is like stand and deliver. It really felt that way. Um, you know, you said something to me when you were like, we were messaging about this. And I think it was that the song takes you on a journey a bit. And I was, you know, I'm watching the beginning of it and I'm like, this is great. I'm enjoying this. Uh waiting for the journey and by the time i was like in it and invested i had sort of like i was just swept up in it and it is the experience i think of watching her really be that embodiment of the song and the people around her it it just feels like the people on stage the people in front of her in the audience and you at home even watching on video you're just like rooting for her 100 percent, and and it sounds weird almost because she's such a pro that you like you know she's gonna pull it off you know what i mean yes but totally. you still like can't help but be like yes yeah she's doing it like yeah. go I, go I go think it's because she just like embodies the the journey of the song so fully like no more moment of it seems insincere at all I, and like yeah. you feel like it's this like very exciting thing of like does she understand the character so well that that's why all these moments are so deeply inhabited? Or is it really just her and we're really just like celebrating her journey and being like thankful for this iconic musical theater, TV, everything performer. And like the song kind of exists in that moment to service her, which like, Mm -hmm. I can't think of a lot of performers where that would be um, as fulfilling in a way, like, you know when you see somebody perform and you can tell they know they're talented? <laughs> and, like, you know how, like, immediately you don't like it? Yeah. Like, yeah. I-, I feel like it, this is one of those rare instances where y- you, like, only want to cheer for her talent more because she knows she's good and she's made it this yeah. long. And, it, like, the song is a testament to, like, longevity and right. determination and things like that. And so it's like, there's no part of it where you're like, oh, shut up. You're like, you, you, want, <laughs> you like are rooting for her. Totally. Yeah. Well, and I think something uh, that you said was really interesting was talking about other people doing the song and maybe it's not, not a great performance, but the song is still really good. And I think that's kind of an interesting thing about songs, um, like going to Bruce Springsteen's Broadway show where it's all stripped down and there's still incredible songs, but the instrumentation is really different. That's something that's always been really fascinating to me looking at this song or at least this sort of concept. um, There's a mountain goat song called this year. Hell yeah. Great. (laughs) The the chorus of the song. You got good taste. Okay. Maybe maybe my taste is great. 
It is. I told you. <laughs> um, the chorus of the song, for anybody that doesn't know, is I'm going to make it through this year if it kills me. Which, as I was watching this, it almost seems like, I don't want to say the same story, but looking at situations from two different sides, like one of it, uh, the Mountain Goat song being a mantra, I'm going to make it through this, I'm, I will do this, and this one where it's sort of this lived experience like you were saying, uh, and so I think that's a really interesting lens to look at it, and I pulled up your note about the song because I really want to get this verbatim in here, uh, that you said that this is a good reminder too that the true skill of interpreting a song is not always about vocal prowess and i think that's a really awesome way to look at it because like you said this song very much feels like somebody sort of kind of spitballing it like off the top of the head it really feels that natural coming out of her voice and not everybody can achieve that and I don't know how to do that. And it's so awesome to watch somebody be able to thread the needle like that. A hundred percent. And also that note, I think that note stands on its own because like no one in the world would say like their favorite vocalist is Elaine Stritch, but they might say their favorite performer is Elaine Stritch. And that has a lot more to do with like what she naturally brings to the table and how she interprets a song and like how she makes it her own. Um, And it also is it was sort of in direct correlation with uh, full disclosure. I could not pick a video. And so I sent, th- I, I managed to narrow it down to a top three. I like made a YouTube playlist mm-hmm. and I had like 15 mm-hmm. and then it had 10 and then it had three. <laughs> and then I sent those three. Uh, and in an earlier example, uh, which again, for people who are, I guess, passionate about musical theater, if you want to Google it, uh, it's the performer Judy Kuhn performing the song Vanilla Ice Cream from She Loves Me. Uh, which is like classic Golden Age Broadway and an extremely difficult song to sing. It is like the centerpiece of the show. It is like the song for this character. If you were like the performer who was going to audition for this role, they would have you come in and sing that song to hear you nail the note at the end because you can't play the role unless you can sing that song. And that video is a great example, I think, of a person who has incredible vocal facility, uh, but is still completely and totally servicing the journey of the song and the character's emotions. And it feels so spontaneous and joyous. And you get the added bonus of, oh, isn't it amazing that she's singing? Do you know what I mean? Like the singing is secondary to the story, but nonetheless, you are so impressed by it. And in this instance, you know, I, I was like, you know, and here's a good example of a person who like lives it and embodies it and you are thrilled by the performance and probably is singing lower notes than what we talked in this, um, conversation naturally in the range mm-hmm. of our voices so you like it, that's another reason why i think musical theater is like when it is done well and written well it is incredible is because like you know there's gonna be a certain kind of like vocal facility or like quality that will align with many different types of music and like musical theater is so varied that we can uh we can pretty comfortably say like any voice can exist in like the pantheon of musical theater. Mm-hmm. And like it has yeah. because it's gone from like the 1910s to now. And now they need people who can sing Alanis Morissette on Broadway. But back in the day, they needed people who were like, I don't know, amazing with patter songs or operetta. And so it's like, mm-hmm. it's kind of like all voices welcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, that's it's, it's such a cool part of it because I think too that, uh, for a lot of people that are like me, who maybe Pat, I don't want to speak for you, but not extremely well versed in musical theater, 
my assumption is you have to be an incredible singer to be on Broadway. You know, like that's my assumption. And so it is very cool to see a variety of different uh, performances to understand that that's not always the case. You know, Um, it is it's kind of like I think it's almost omitting that theater part where you're like, oh, yeah, right. Theater. (laughs) <laughs> that's also a right, part of it. Exactly. It's not all yeah. just about the the music. Um, Cause I think we're kind of like trained through pop culture to understand that popular music, you don't necessarily have to be great. Like whole waves of folk and punk music. People are not particularly good vocalists at all. And we're like, yeah, but they can do it. And we think for some reason to stand on a stage in, in New York city, you have to be an exceptional singer always. You right. know? I mean, if you want to know a little bit of like the, uh, insider drama drama's not the right word but like the there's a there's a feeling that we are not writing musical theater to raise the kind of performers that are elaine stretches and that we don't know what our like iconic broadway performers will look like in 25 years because Mm -hmm. the people who tend to be on broadway right now are uh sort of like vocals first and that doesn't mean, like, these people can't act. Like, I'm sure if you went to go see a show on Broadway in the last year and a half, you've seen a performance that has, like, completely and totally knocked her socks off. So this is not, like, shadiness. But almost always in every show now, the lead character is, like, such an amazing, unbelievable goddamn singer. Uh, and so, like, the feeling is, yes, now you have to be, have to, have to, have to be the singer. And that, like, interpreting the song, although still important, it still has to come after, like, being incredible. And that, like, mm-hmm. just, like, the trend right now, probably because it mimics more, like, what's popular in pop culture, which is, like, being amazing at singing and, like, pop singing. <laughs> we, we were not, like, writing material to showcase people like whoever the next Elaine Stritch is. Yeah. And so if we can't, if we don't make space for her, we won't have her at the 80th co- anniversary concert singing a song right. like I'm Still Here because we don't, like, we're not making the room to celebrate a person like that. Um, and if you, Evan did admit that he fell down a rabbit hole of watching some of the other concert videos. I did, yeah, I did watch some of the other videos of the ladies in red specifically. It's great. And like, even then those people who are, who are behind her are known for being, they're singers, they're amazing singers. Mm-hmm. But even for then sure. somebody like Bernadette Peters is such, such a strange voice and like some mm-hmm. would even call like an acquired taste, but not in the 70s and 80s and like early 90s she was like the cream of the crop toast of the town like it would would be crazy for you to be like i just don't care for her i'm sure people don't but like (laughs) you know what i mean like right no yeah totally. those idiosyncratic sort of performances and voices like if we don't start to um make room for them now they won't be icons when they're 50 they'll just be nobody right do do you think do you think any of that has to do with like just the amount of money it takes to put on a musical. A hundred percent. Like, yeah, because like I imagine it's kind of like pop radio where it's the pretty voices sell easier. Broadway is inherently I'm, commercial. And when people yeah. say that, sometimes people are like, well, what about this amazing show and this amazing show and this show won the Pulitzer? And it's like, no, no, no. Nobody's saying that because it's commercial, it's shit. It's just that like, Broadway has to be commercial because they have to sell the size of a Broadway house and they have yeah. to therefore be able to appeal to a wide enough demographic or be able to market the show in such a way that they can guarantee that between the months of uh, October and the new year, when we get like the huge like tourist New Year's 
Christmas rush, the seats will be filled enough to like keep the show running, which is why there's so many adaptations of movies or stars and shows or even just like a material yeah. that is manageable. Um, yeah. And you won't see anything that's like, or you will, that's not true. You will rarely see something that like challenges the status quo in a major, major mm-hmm. way on Broadway. And if it does, it's because it was so unbelievably revolutionarily adored and necessary. Like something like Slave Play would have like never gone yeah. straight to Broadway. And if it wasn't for its like incendiary and like you have to get a ticket off Broadway run, nobody who's a producer would have ever trusted that material on a Broadway stage. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. For we sure. Went, uh, last year, I think it was, to be more chill, which kind of had I. I can't remember the exact time or storyline of this, but it was kind of like off, off Broadway, off Broadway, on again, off again, sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, there's one song um, in the show called Michael in the Bathroom about like a teenager that's at a party, doesn't want to be there. And he's just singing to himself alone in the bathroom that got it blew up on YouTube to the point that they they got a Broadway show out of it. Mm-hmm. Um which is such, I mean, to think about how popular things can be produced and how Broadway does things from my limited knowledge of that, that's such a crazy way for that to happen. Totally. Uh, and then to be there in that moment, speaking of just seeing things live, like the energy you feel is so incredible. Yeah. I mean, again, this is me saying um, that I have like information and knowledge, even though my taste is bad. So, like, there was a long time where Broadway music was popular music. Um, And so it was already the thing you bought the sheet music for and brought home to play at the piano with your friends after the dinner party. And you bought the LP and you went home and you listened to Camelot. You know what I mean? Like, there was a very long Mm -hmm. time where, like, what you would hear, quote unquote, on the radio is Broadway material. Uh, And we've crossed out of that. We crossed out of it starting in, like, the late 60s and, like, 70s and by the 80s no longer was Broadway music popular music um and so now when things like blow up or get attention it's not because it's like getting radio play or because everybody knows who Frank Lesser is and like has to buy and see the next Frank Lesser show on like their album and bring it home and listen to it uh but like YouTube became a huge part of like people discovering shows um I went to the University of Michigan and there was a class before I got there who was the first class to start putting stuff on YouTube. Um, I think it was like the class of like 09. I'm not sure. Um, But they would like sing, they would like do a concert at like a tiny little concert hall in Kerrytown, Michigan, uh, right next to Ann Arbor. And they'd be like, okay, we're going to really go through like the contemporary musical theater songbook and try and find things nobody's heard. And then, like, a girl would sing the song Blue Hair by Joe Iconis, who wrote Be More Chill. And then that Mm -hmm. video would go viral. And then people would be like, who the fuck is Joe Iconis? And then they'd go to his website where he was selling his music for $2.99. And a hundred girls would buy the song Blue Hair because they saw this girl on YouTube sing it. And then Joe would have clout suddenly. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, he would go from just being, like, a composer who was trying his shit in New York and doing some concerts at Ars Nova and, like, being like, here, look at my stuff, to being, like, I made $300 in the last three days because so many girls want to sing this song. And then suddenly you have something like marketable or an agent to tell or, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. technology and like spreading stuff in that way has like 
really changed what gets yeah. to be like this is popular or this has an audience or whatever it is it, it can part of this just like talking about this commercialization and popularization it reminds me sort of of like the initial question that prompted this selection right which is uh, specifically a live performance and <clears throat> the reason is it's kind of like if we were to do a cast recording or even if somebody was going to do like a recording of follies throughout the years independently you know like a smorgasbord of performers even if they were going to do something like that i don't know that they would have brought elaine stritch into a studio and had her sing this song and if they did i don't know if that's the version that everyone would, would want to listen to and like if that's the even like the broadway fans right it's like it probably wouldn't be the the beloved version of the song that everyone yeah. knows and everyone loves mm -hmm. and yet there's no denying that to watch her perform it is so incredible so incredibly like wonderful and that anyone who's a fan of it would would love it and it might be their favorite version of the song you know specifically uh and it's just it's it's it's, it's just that idea of like what is live is so difficult to be captured oftentimes and it is often not the popular thing right i'm even reminded of like rock music that when i remember being like a teenager you know and still Bands put out live albums and I would buy them sometimes or like a live DVD of a rock band. And now I'm just like, who releases live albums anymore? <laughs> like if they're not, if they're not like a jazz or jam band or something like that, I just am like, it does, do, I don't know, like does, who's a band, does like Imagine Dragons put out live albums? And I'm sure, okay, I'm sure they do, but. Does anyone buy them? Right. Does anyone listen to them? Like, is they... there a market for that at all? Right, like, is that the preferred <laughs> method of consumption? And, like, again, yeah, like for... as another glimpse into my bad taste in music, um, I love the band Fish, and I've seen them, like, like probably, yes. like, 15 to 17 times live, maybe more. <laughs> uh, and then, like, that's a weird space where it's, like, if you say your favorite version of a song is the studio version, people are, like, ew. Oh. Eat shit. <laughs> yeah, just like, exactly. just <laughs> like, like what's you your fucking know? problem? A hundred percent. It's like, fuck you. Well, I have a friend that uh, has gone to see fish. I mean, the last time I asked her, it was, I think, 112 times. Yeah. I'm like a nobody um, in comparison when I say that I've seen him like 20 times. <laughs> Which yeah. is still in like for any other band, that's a lot. Oh, yeah. Um, but mm -hmm. I, I was trying really hard because I was like, well, I mean, I have nothing against it, but like, so let me try. And so I downloaded a bunch of their albums and put on my phone and I was listening to it and I was like, I don't get it. I really don't get it. And she was like, well, let me look, T show me what you put on your phone. She's like, these are all the studio albums. Of course you don't like this. Exactly. You need this one from New Hampshire. You need this one from here. And I was like, oh, okay. All yep. right. Which is also the fun part of it is that like, it becomes this like, uh, you're always on the hunt for the best, yeah. most like iconic version of that live performance and so you'll be like i love this version of rift from you know like 1997 and they're like oh boo that song peaked in 95 and you'll be like you kidding me like <laughs> yeah. the best riffs were in 95 and they're like yeah you have to listen to this one from salt lake city it's like okay but again i think that like my enjoyment of that and like that same joy is like the same thing that makes me like musical theater and like no, I can tell you every word of I'm still here, but the idea that the next person I see do it live could bring something totally new to it and it could be a, a whole new song to me. That is like somehow yeah. the same foundation as me being like, oh man, they played Taste in Delaware and it were rocked. You gotta, you gotta see this 98 Taste. Well, you know. I mean, I 
love that you are a big fish fan. Uh, as a as somebody who uh, myself went to high school with a bunch of like that was my group of friends was the the fish fans. Um, and I've only seen them like a paltry three times. Um, <laughs> it's truly embarrassing. I don't even know why I even mention it, but it's uh, and you know like I think all all of us obviously love to go see stuff live but it's still sometimes it's hard to like or it's hard to explain to people why why seeing live shows is i guess so captivating and 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 why it has like its own it kind of has like its own addiction sort of to it or has its own you know quality of the thing you get hooked on and some bands it's just not going to be there some performances it's just not going to be there it's like yeah their studio stuff is better or equally mm-hmm. good and mm-hmm. then there are these other performances where it is just it just has to be experienced live uh but i don't know ali what i love is like i don't know where how common the crossover is between musical theater fans and fish fans me like, neither i think i probably honest, know I think all of them <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think you're part of a very small cross-section of uh of fandom and i let's it's awesome it's very strange but I, I really do think it comes down to that thing of like, it's best consumed live. And like when people, yeah. like when you're like a kid, when you were like me as a kid, listening to music, like to albums and but like the cast recordings and stuff, like the first thing you think when you hear a really good cast recording of a show is I have to see it live. You're never mm-hmm. like, that was awesome. Done. Like, and, and so like, I do think that there's like something very interesting in these, in these like genres that specifically when you hear it, you're like, God damn, I have to see that live. There are fish songs that I love that I still haven't seen live and like are on yeah, my like yeah. fish bucket list. And I, that like somehow dr- still keeps driving me to be like, I know I love that song. I just, I've never seen it live. Like I have to see it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah I feel like about shows too, where like you'll hear like a revival is coming and you're like, oh my God, I have to see that live. Uh, so I feel this way a little bit about uh, Sondheim in general, uh, especially as like a uh, not a big th- musical theater person. Um, I hear so many people who I guess I I just like have known them usually through the improv or comedy world, and their like their person in musical theater is Sondheim. And so I go like a couple times a year. I'll try to listen to a soundtrack or or two or something like that, or like a greatest hits kind of like YouTube, you know. And I try to get into it. And there's a part of me that I'm like, oh, I get, I, get, I think I get why people like it, but it still evades me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, he's like a, he's a little heady, right? Totally. In terms of the world of musical theater. Like, totally, totally. If you don't know musical theater, it might be a little hard to grasp at first, something he's like that. He's not always like musically the most accessible. And his lyrics tend to be quite like, you must pay attention, like. Mm-hmm. And that's also what mm-hmm. makes people love him is that it's like it feels yeah. like um, genuine subtext and like wittiness that isn't inaccessible or like playful. Um, and that like uh, in a great Sondheim song, you learn so much about the character, whether that's because they're saying what they feel or you're like reading between the lines and you're getting all the subtext of like they're saying this, but mm-hmm. clearly the performance is this. And like he is truly like a master of that in terms of like storytelling. Yeah. Um but no, like, no one's ever like, oh, man, like, you, uh, your, your first musical, like, we're going to go see a little night music on Broadway, like, <laughs> like sometimes 1973 hit. It's like, it, it would just be too much. But I feel like that's like probably I, true of a lot of genres where it's just like, 
There's yeah, that person yeah. who's like the pinnacle, but like isn't where you start mostly. Yeah, yeah. and I and I think it's a misconception I know that I have or have had, and probably many people have about musical theater is like, I don't know, there's something about it. Like the point is to be big and uh, I don't know, big and presentational and really like hitting you over the head with what the thing is supposed to be, you know? And, um, and I think because I've, I grew up listening to so much like rock music that I'm like, Oh yeah, well, some rock music is like that, but there's a million permutations of rock music. And it's just like, when you know something, you understand that there's complexities and variety and all this stuff. And when you don't, you kind of boil it down to like the few touchstones, yeah, you know, of the genre or whatever. And for whatever reason, it wasn't until probably sometime in my very early 30s where I didn't, I didn't even like know who Sondheim, I mean, I knew his name, but I like yeah. couldn't have told you a single musical. And now it's like, I feel like every fourth person I talked about musical theater talks about assassins. Yeah, I mean, and assassins <laughs> is like so great. And I think another part of, okay, wow. I think I really love musical theater, unfortunately. Um, but part of the reason that like Assassins is so good, besides being like, who the fuck, who the fuck would write this musical that's, that features and is from the perspective of like famous presidential assassins throughout time. So already you're yeah. just like, this guy's crazy. Can't wait to see what happens. Um, but that again, because he's so good at writing for character, you get this very interesting and um, challenging experience as a person in the audience where sometimes you get really wrapped up in what the character is singing about to the point where you have to go oh my god wait a minute they're a, they're a fucking lunatic do you know what i mean <laughs> and like mm -hmm. and like mm -hmm. he's so good at like at writing for from a character's point of view and then if you see a good performer it's like doubly entrancing that like you're listening to the yeah. guy who's playing like john wilkes booth and you're like getting caught up in his emotions and then there, yeah, you have yeah. like a moment as like a, 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 the person in the audience of being like, you are a villain. You are the villain. You were like the blueprint for all the other villains who followed. Um, yeah. But like you do get like lost in it for a second because like that is what right. that's what kind of like what music does to you, I feel, even more than plays. Like you can see plays mm -hmm. and get like lost in an actor's performance, but sometimes like a, a song will truly like sweep you up and you'll be like lost at like, yeah. what it, how, like how grand it sounds and the lush orchestrations and the amazing singing. And then you have to be like, I am listening to something from the perspective of a person who is who does not share my perspective. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Which is why Assassins is like really good. That's, and I don't think anybody yeah, else could have yeah. written it. Yeah. yeah. Can you uh, can you tell everyone just a little bit of what what Follies is about? Because we've met, we haven't like oh, really yeah. talked about the show at all. Yeah, so Follies is about um, a bunch of older showgirls reuniting to celebrate the. It's not the Zigfield Follies. It's like a fictionalized version of it, but it's essentially that. And so they range yeah, it's in kind age. Kind of a take on that. Yeah, they range in age from like the late fifties, early sixties to like nineties. And it's like people who appeared in these like 1920s reviews where it's like beautiful girls singing their like little charm songs. Uh, and it's like a lot of reminiscing. And sometimes it's like ghosts of the young performers behind the older performers in present day. And the main storyline is about two couples who are very unhappy in their marriages. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. essentially it. Um, and this song is sung by a character who is like a tertiary character. I'm still here. Yeah. It's not even like the protagonist's song. It's not even like the song that defines the emotional journey of the song, the show. It's sung by a character who's one of the older performers, just like kind of as a testament to um, 
the kind of women who persevered throughout like this yeah, time yeah. period. And uh, even more interestingly, like it was a song that was written when they were doing their Boston tryouts because they cut a song that wasn't working with audiences. Hmm. Um, and they had a really big star in this small role. And so it was kind of like expected that if Sondheim was going to write a song for this character, it better be good. <laughs> Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, that's kind of it and then like it was a huge hit that. and people loved it which is great like right like to think that even like this yeah. song that we're loving and talking about so much isn't even like the point of the show <laughs> it's like right, damn that's right. great <laughs> which is a so that contrast with you were talking about earlier vanilla ice cream uh, that is like the focal or the that that's like a big big moment in that totally. play right like emotionally and like vocally speaking mm -hmm. it's like a huge part the character is a uh, soprano throughout, so like obviously you got to be a good singer, and you got to be a good soprano. But like uh, mm -hmm. the writing makes it that that's like her highest note. It's like a moment of triumph. It's kind of like how like are you yeah. familiar with My Fair Lady at all? That like her Not music. No. So like in Eliza Doolittle's transformation, everybody knows like the rind and spine falls mindly on the blind. Like when she goes from like Cockney, she sings in like sort of her chest voice, and as she becomes this like woman, as she has changed, her voice gets higher and more operatic. And which culminates <laughs> with the song I could have danced all night. And so like those high mm -hmm. notes are reserved for that emotional moment as well. It's kind of like yeah. that too with like vanilla ice cream that it's like, obviously she has to have these notes, but like that vocal moment is also saved right. for her emotional moment. It's like the pinnacle of it. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is another, I mean, again, people will put the, the link in the description, but that is another, it's, it's such a good performance. I mean, so like funny and yeah. so simple so well done yes so well done i think it is like just lovely also people probably know judy kuhn best as the voice of pocahontas in the disney movie pocahontas oh wow oh, okay. she's great she's such a, an unbelievably talented performer who can sing almost yeah. anything well i think just going off of like unbelievably talented um and talking about live and uh musicals and things like that i feel like if you're unfamiliar with musicals Maybe what kind of gets stuck in your head is something like Guys and Dolls, like the really big and she she just sort of like we got the big songs, um, which especially these days, I, they're not my thing. If you like them, no judgment. Uh, but I think what you get from seeing one of these shows live is also just the pure ability of these musical performers um because these two there's performance and there's acting but i also wanted to point out this other song you had sent us uh let's raise a glass from grand hotel hell yeah because the pantomime in that's so good is perfect there was i watched it twice and i was like well yeah they had beer glasses they did not or well glasses i can't remember what they were drinking yes. but they had i, I was convinced <laughs> like they had glasses and then they start dancing to this point where it's they so look good. like they look like rag dolls and they're belting their little hearts out. They're not missing a <laughs> note. They're not missing a beat. And I, I was winded and I was just sitting there watching yeah, for, it. For anyone who's curious to see this one, we'll, we'll make that available. And Allie, can you set people up for like what this is? Totally. Uh, so there's a musical called Grand Hotel, which is based off uh, the movie Grand Hotel, which is a really great movie. Um, which is, uh, I would say, like, pretty much what you would expect of, like, a big, flashy Broadway show. It's got, like, a chorus who acts, sings, and dances. It's got a lot of big, like, big, like, showstoppery numbers, including this Act 1 finale, which is called Let's Raise a Glass. Uh, they performed it at the Tony Awards to showcase this performer who went on to win a Tony Award later in the night. Um, and, uh, I mean, like, 
I think the song is really good, obviously. Like, yeah. there's mm-hmm. no part of mm-hmm. it where I'm like, this isn't a good song, or the lyrics are taking me out of it, or whatever. But nothing about this performance is is uh, tied to the song. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. what makes this performance so incredible is, like, the direction and the performance. Uh, I yeah. think that, like, the direction is really cool because, yes, they chose, they chose to, like, unencumber, is that a word? Uh, the performers by being like, <laughs> yep. we'll just do pantomime, and they're at a bar drinking and like sort of wittily, they just kind of made it like um like a like a ballet bar, so you can like see their full bodies as opposed to it being like obscured by a set piece. And so it's like there's a lot yeah. of like really thoughtful direction that goes into this, and then this performance that is like knock your socks off, can't believe it's real. I, I truly, the the first time I saw it, I was like, there's, I need to understand <laughs> how this is happening. Like, there's no way he's actually just yeah. like doing that with his body, but. He 100 is, um, and also like because I went from being like a full blown like I have to be on Broadway musical theater as my life performer to somebody who developed a love for comedy. Um, I watch this performance and I feel envious as a musical theater performer and a comedian. I'm like it's better yes. than me in both ways. <laughs> it's like it's, incredible. Yeah, yeah, that language envious. It's like I, I don't you who could watch that and not want to be like. Like fuck, that guy is so good He's at so good. two different things all at once. <laughs> like, it's so annoying. I mean, it's just, it's and it's it's like it's a performance that you equally like laugh at, and you're also you're in your mind you're going wow 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 right <laughs> R- wow 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 is exactly right. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's incredible. Um, I love it. Well, Allie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. This, this was this super fun. Some these are so fun to talk about. Yeah. And, just everyone we're gonna put the links in the um in the description of the episode uh you know maybe we'll link out to to a few live fish shows too while we're at it if I you mean, have a few hours on your hands you've got like 22 minutes on your hand i can show you one song <laughs> yep, yep 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 uh yeah some good ones some good ones like uh something yeah something something beautiful a little bit of lyrics at the beginning big long break some lyrics at the end i don't know we'll, we'll figure it out <laughs> Uh, Allie, where can people keep up to date with what you're going on, what's going on in your world? Um, and what other projects can people check it, check you out on? Uh, I am on Twitter at Miss Alice Nutting. That's M-S-A-L-I-C-E-N-U-T-T-I-N-G. It is a really obscure musical theater reference. When I made Twitter in the year 2008, I didn't know Twitter was going to be what it is now. And it's just too late, <laughs> too late now. So I'm just kind of stuck with that one. <laughs> Um, and, uh, the project that I'm working on right now that you can listen to from home and don't have to worry about when live theater will ever pick up again, uh, is I'm on a D&D comedy podcast called Second Best to D&D Adventure. That's on Twitter at, at Second Best D&D, but also you can just search those words and listen to the podcast. It's a bunch of comedians, all UCB performers, um, yeah. who started it because we wanted to make something funny, not because we were like passionate about D&D and it's been fun because like we've all become like really good and excited, like like players who like are excited <laughs> by the game. Uh, but it's like, it's truly comedy first. So uh, see, I only think, yeah. I think I only like it's things really that fun. I have to qualify being like, I know this could be stupid, but I actually like it. <laughs> Own it. Own it. But yes, I do really, I really do love D&D quite a lot now. And um, I'm very proud of the, the podcast. It's been going on for like two and a half years now. Yeah, it's so That's many hilarious awesome. performers. It's uh, it's great, and you know this is a real D and D friendly show too. You know, Pat. Thank you. Pat's Pat's in it. Pat's oh, in yeah, it. Yeah, I love it. I'm glad. I just ha- I just introduced a unicorn named Gil in my game. So 
It's uh, real serious. Are you run? Do you, are you? You're the DM. You run the game. Yeah, it's real stressful, but also I love it. I I know. I don't think I could ever do it. I think I like. I think I enjoy causing chaos too much, and that's like my it, my passion. <laughs> we'll do an offshoot episode about this. But what I really like is it's a fun creative writing prompt for me. And when people try to break it, that's a little more fun. Yeah, uh, they're breaking your puzzle as you go, and you try. It's almost like putting the tracks down as you're going. Uh, so it's fun. Yeah, everybody should try it. Yeah, I think everybody no, should try yeah. it. And I think everybody should try and listen to one musical if you think you hate musicals, because they're so varied. You can't hate them all. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> musicals, you, you can't hate them all. That's the, that's <laughs> the tagline. That's Broadway's new, yeah, Broadway's new t- <laughs> like ad campaign. Yep. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, Ali, yeah, thank you again for joining us. Yeah. Um, you can find us. Uh, at repeater show uh on instagram and t- uh twitter also repeater.show is our url you know if you like this subscribe uh throw out a rating out there uh, and um that's about it uh pat you got anything else buddy uh no, honestly if you want to email us hello at repeater.show um i don't know talk to us we're that's all stuck too. at home uh send us your music whatever you're listening to your favorite musicals let's get a a conversation going (laughs) start a dialogue uh thank you for listening everybody until next time hit repeat repeater is hosted by evan ford barden and patrick cartelli theme music by the sun lions everything else by love nest productions welcome to repeater Thanks, Allie. Yay. That was so okay, fun. I'm going to hit stop recording.